brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. When we go into the organizations, most of the time, we are finding less than 10% of the people are at the appropriate level of data literacy, less than 10%, which is shocking. Data strategy, data culture, and data literacy. They're interrelated, but they are not the same thing. Today's conversation, we kind of peel those things apart and we get specific about data literacy, specifically persona-based data literacy. How do we make sure each person in each role is as knowledgeable as they need to be to perform their job effectively with regard to collecting and using data. Our guest is Pianca Jane. She is president and CEO of A-Ring, a data analytics company that's working with companies like Google, Apple, Adobe, PayPal, Box, Electronic Arts, and so many more. So many solutions to helping your team get more data literate for the benefit of your customers. My name is Ethan Butte. I host the CX series here on B2B Growth. I host the Customer Experience Podcast, and I'm Chief Evangelist at BombBomb, where we make it easy to get face-to-face through simple videos. Here is my conversation with Pianca Jane. Leveraging your data in order to lower your customer acquisition costs and improve your customer experience. Today's guest is president and CEO of A-Ring, a company that does just that for clients like Google, Apple, Adobe, PayPal, Box, and Electronic Arts, among many others. A few processes and techniques her team uses, developing their clients' data DNA building data literacy throughout the organization, and creating citizen analysts. She's a best-selling author and keynote speaker on data-driven decision-making, data analytics, and data science. Pianca Jane, welcome to the Customer Experience Podcast. Thank you for having me, Ethan. I'm really excited to get into this. And, and to my memory, we haven't done a full and proper conversation on data here on the show, but it obviously underpins any effort that anyone's undertaking throughout the organization. But before we get going, we're recording in early to mid-April. You're in Silicon Valley. What's the situation there with regard to coronavirus? How's it affecting you or your family, your team or your customers? Kind of just set the scene really quickly. Yeah, so we have been in shelter, shelter in place for uh, for a good four weeks now, I think. And we're going to go till May, first week of May as of now. We'll see how it changes you know, the numbers are somewhat plateauing or, you know, depends on how you see it. The testing at least is plateauing. Who knows? In terms of, we were, we are a remote team to begin with. So we are 
Um, I mean, I'm based here. So there are some folks in East Bay, LA, some folks in Toronto. We have folks in India. So we are all remote to begin with. So we are set up that way. So it didn't affect us from the working perspective. But the, our clients are definitely, I can, we can see there's a lot of panic and a lot of budgets freezing and a lot of like not knowing what to do. There are two things we do for our corporate clients. There's a consulting side that we do uh, end-to-end. There's also the training part. We do the data literacy, data culture work, I think, which is what we're going to talk a whole lot about. And then because this is a prime time, many people are seeing this as a downtime for their, for their employees. There's a lot, uh, there's a bigger interest in data culture, developing data culture, upgrading skills, and so on. So there's some shift happening within our, our sort of our portfolio of offering as well. But you know, overall, I think we all need to do the right thing and stay safe. And this too shall pass, <laughs> just like anything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think in general, people are taking it well, from what I understand. Very good. Yeah, I think it is, you know, this too shall pass. We're not sure where exactly we are in it right now. And I think that's why there's a lot of freezing and not a lot of dramatic decision making, but just like, okay, pause, let's see what's going on here and move forward. I'm really glad to hear that people are investing in training and development. That's awesome. So we're going to start where we always start here, which is customer experience. When I say that, what does it mean to you? Uh, for me, customer experience is a holistic experience, right? Like, so for example, if I am buying something online, I'm a, I'm a big Amazon shopper because I'm a big convenience lover. You know, for me, that experience of, you know, how I order, how, how I, can, I can count on receiving when they are saying it's receiving. So I have a six-year-old and I just ordered a butterfly project for her because we're staying at home and I need to do something more creative and interesting with her. And so we're going to see butterflies grow for next three weeks. And so I ordered something from, um, uh, from an, a, a kit, a butterfly kit from Amazon. I know sort of the date it will come and I know I can prep my daughter, like, you know, it's coming here and then we're going to be making logs and how are we going to track? Like, you know, and she knows all those, all those stages of the, you know, the butterfly cocooning chrysalis and all of that. So um, I, I love that the, the dependability, I love the ease, things get dropped to me. I love the ease of, you know, if something is not working, I can call in, I can get a customer support experience. Very, very, very convenient, very easy. They know me and they also probably know me as a high value customer. So I get very easy, you know, easy access, easy, everything is easy and I like easy. So for me, customer experience is how I get touched by a product company end-to-end. So not only from my ordering to my receiving the product to my, if I have a problem, you know, um, the, the order has not arrived, what happened, you know, it'll be shipped right away for you. There's something got misplaced, whatever else, you know, so easy versus, you know, sort of having to argue. So once I started shopping in Amazon, on Amazon maybe like seven years ago, I haven't gone back and I, I hardly shop. I don't, I mean, these days you don't shop anyways, but you know, I hardly shop in retail stores. Actually, my daughter doesn't know what a mall is because we've never probably gone to a mall. My so, goodness. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. That frictionless experience, Amazon has come up a number of times on the show, especially with the closing question of a, you know, a company that you really appreciate. And it's that frictionless aspect to it. And you also spoke to the transparency. You just know what's going on. And should anything be disjointed at any point, you already have this trust built up. There's a relationship piece to what you talked about too. You know, it's not just about that transaction. It's about all of the transactions for years to come. So, you know, if you're seven or eight years in now, you'll obviously still be working with them seven or eight years from now and they'll know you better. And they'll be able to serve you better, which is awesome, which, which I think leads into where I wanted to go next. Just one step deeper into CX here which is 
from your point of view, what's the relationship between effective use of data and delivering effectively a high quality customer experience? That's a great question, Ethan. And I love the way you framed about trust and relationship as well. So I, I you know that's that's a great, that's giving some good ideas to start thinking about the way I think about customer experience and now putting in the context of data-driven customer experience. So I think that having an effective data strategy or having an effective way of getting access to data, we call it data maturity in general. That's a foundation for the, to, to deliver good customer experience or build better products or delight your customer in any way you, you want. So that's a foundation. That's a must have for you to be able to delight your customer, for, you be to, for, for, for Amazon to know that I'm high value, for Amazon to know that you know, this and this persona probably is a convenience lover, so don't argue with her about things, make it easy for her as she calls, things like that. So you need data done well. You need good access to data and good and right access to data to the right people. Because it's not, you know, all these decisions is not being all made by, I mean, there's a lot of auto ML going on there, a lot of machine learning and a lot of recommendation system, but there's also people there and different people need access. So customer support needs a different access to my data versus the, you know, the person who's doing, maybe there's some fraud activity or something happened. Different job and persona, you can call it, a different job title function need different kind of access to my customer data. So that, that rightful access and true access and easy access is, is data maturity. That's a foundation. That's an ingest is what is data maturity. When you have that, now you're set up to actually crack the code for anything. This, you know, be it CX, be it product experience, be it product features, be it marketing, be it whatever you want to optimize. As it relates to directly to customer experience, I think the way we approach it, at least for our clients, is we start thinking from what is it that you want? What is a must-have experience that you want the customer to have? And then back build backwards from there. So once you know what do you envision, I think, for example, you know, when I, I look up Steve Jobs, for example, the greatest visionary, he used to talk about the experience, the experience that he wants people to have. Like, you know, when, when they hold a phone, an iPhone in their hand, this is how they should feel. This is what they're feeling. If you can start from that and then work backwards to it, if we want to deliver that, what all do we need to enable on our systems and from our people's, from our processes perspective? And from there, data can support you in, you know, in supporting that vision that you have. But that assuming you have good data maturity underlying it. Otherwise, you'll be like running after data and not knowing where to, you know, how do you chase chase after data, which doesn't, it's non-existent or it's like hiding somewhere. So good. There's so many follow-up questions I want to ask there. I couldn't, I should actually have been writing down some of my thoughts there so I could follow up. But a couple of key things there. One, obviously data is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. It's a tool to get a job done and you really positioned it clearly and obviously there. And that it is foundational to making any aspect of the business better and more effective. And, yeah. uh, and you also pretty well teed up where I, what I wanted to ask next, which is, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with A-Ring, you know, who are you, who is your ideal customer and what are some of the problems that you solve for them? Sure. Great. Uh, I would love to share A-Ring. Uh, we are a data science consulting company. We are boutique, <laughs> so not large, but we are lean and mean. And our flavor of data science we do is all about practical data science. So we are all about, you have some data, whatever form of data you have, you have some questions. How do we quickly use the data you have at hand to solve that problem? 
Now we do, do that through two ways for the corporate client. One is we go in and solve large, you know, high value problems for our clients hands-on. And um, we are known to be the fastest and the most um, efficient. So between two to three consultants can build a machine learning model within eight to nine weeks. And we are fast because we are hypothesis driven. So underlying all of the work we do is a framework called Badal, which is our recipe for baking cake. We have a recipe for baking data, essentially. And it, it marries data science with decision science. And it is hypothesis driven, which basically enables us fast delivery to insights and makes sure, make sure that whatever we are, whatever we're going to deliver for a client will get used. So that's our sort of like um, our footprint, uh, so to say, in our blueprint of what, what we do. So there's one part is data science consulting. When we go into organizations and solve, you know, we have customer acquisition issues. We want to lower customer acquisition costs. We want to segment our customer. We want to better target. We want to create offering and messaging, you know, uh, that matrix to optimize ROI. You have customer retention, employee retention, you know, you name it, marketing to sales, attribution, all of those things. We love solving complex problems. So that's one, one end, but we are also all about, we are also a lot about evangelizing. So we are all about how can we empower our customers to do it better and do it themselves. And so there's one big part of work we do is on data culture and data literacy. So we go into organizations who are ready, especially very mature organizations, organization where they, the data digital transformation has happened to them, but they are not, the employees are not ready for data. They're scared of data. And we go into such an organization and we establish a culture of data through our curated met, met, you know, met framework. So we first assess the data culture for that organization. Again, we have a methodology for that. And then based on what we find the gaps in either data maturity, we talked about data maturity already, or data literacy. That's the second sort of, there are four Ds to data culture. The second one is data literacy. The third one is data-driven leadership. And the fourth one is decision-making process. And as we find gaps in any of those four, uh, which is broken down into 30 dimensions, we are able to address that. And fairly quickly, within, we can turn around, do a turnaround from moving a data culture quotient of five to above seven within nine months, if the organization is ready. And a large scale, we can scale it to 5,000, 10,000 people. So that's our two body of work we do for our corporate clients. We also have an academy, uh, much like Coursera, but it's focused on the business problem. So we have an academy where people can go on academy.airing.com and they can take, especially for sales and marketing folks, there's a citizen analyst track that they can upscale themselves with 16 hours of course and then a project, follow-on project. We have a data, future data scientist track. We also have a current data scientist track and an executive track. Awesome. I will link that up in, if for folks who are listening, I, we always write up some of these, ep, we always write up these episodes, pull a handful of video clips, we embed the audio and you can see all of that at bombbomb.com slash podcast. And I'll include a link to the Academy for folks that, uh, and we're going to get into some of those definitions, by the way, I'm curious yeah. to talk about citizen analyst. Yeah. Uh, so, so people can self-identify and maybe jump into one of those learning tracks as they see fit. So Let's talk about some of the basics of data literacy. Like I expect that many organizations probably wouldn't call themselves data illiterate, but I'll also bet that many of them are metric rich, but information poor. And so just talk about how do you define data literacy and as you know, for the companies maybe that you've engaged with or that your team has engaged with over the past couple of years, kind of what is a common state of data literacy? And then we can maybe progress from there. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, from the last research I read coming from, I think Accenture and Hewlett published it together 
from their global, uh, you know, sort of survey they did, they found 64% of the, or more of the people were uh, not identified as data literate enough. When we go into the, and then what is data literacy? So data literacy is the ability to use data for making useful decisions, to use that for, you know, to derive insights and useful decisions. Now that is not one size fit all. You can't say I'm data literate or illiterate. It is, am I at the level that I'm functioning? If I'm a customer support agent, do I have the right data literacy to be at for my level? And so how do we define that? We define it at the personal level. So for a customer support agent, maybe they need to be a data enthusiast. That definition varies across business to business and what, what the leadership wants for that role. So for example, most of the time, customer support agents are tend to be what, what the target data literacy profile they should get to as is data enthusiast. For a marketing manager, the target profile is often data educated. For a, uh, or actually a, sometimes there's an analyst. For a product product uh, folks, usually it's data educated. For executives, it's typically data-driven executives. So are, these are definitions, but they're basically varying level of data literacy. Some people, you know, if you start from the data enthusiasts, they need to be enthusiastic about data and to be able to understand basics of charts and tables, right? For all the way from there to data scientists, they need to be able to use advanced methods to be able to derive insights, make models, and inform decisions and work with stakeholders and information. So there's a wide variety of those, you know, and everything is in between, right? So when we go into the organizations, most of the time, we are finding less than 10% of the people are at the appropriate level of data literacy, less than 10%, which is shocking. You, most people think, oh, I, I can download data in Excel and I can look at it and I can pick the number. So I should, I am data literate. Well, are you data literate enough for your level of, of what you are able to do? And the surprising and the sad truth is most people are not. And what does that mean? Why, why should we care if they are data literate or not? We should care because if they are not data literate enough, they're not able to optimize the decision they have at hand. Your marketing manager who's going to spend your 100K next, in next quarter if they're not data literate enough, they're not going to be optimizing that 100K spend. Maybe that 100K, you know, maybe they'll spend 100K and they'll get you 500K in return from, you know, incremental sales or whatever else. But what if they were data literate and they could get you a million, right? You're losing, you're leaving that 500K on the table. And many, many CEOs and CMOs and chief digital officers, they are recognizing, oh, wow, we are leaving money on the table. And especially in the context of right now in this post-pandemic situation, all of our margins have been eaten away. You know, we have we have kept our employees level to the same level. Our, all of us are, and sales and marketing specifically, our pipelines have dried up. We're going to be squeezed on both hands. Do you think you have now, You can you afford to do, oh, I'm going to do these 10 things and let's see which one sticks. Can you afford that anymore? You can't. And many, many organizations, and I, in fact, I, I predict that companies who invest in data literacy right now, who invest in upskilling their, their, uh, their employees, they are the ones who are going to thrive post-pandemic. Because post-pandemic, there's going to be a new world, right? And if you're not, if you don't know the language of business, if you don't know the language, the language of business is data, if you don't know how to do, what to do with data, I think you're going to be left behind. And, you know, you need to look for some other, another profession. It's so interesting. Obviously, now I understand why you used personas earlier in the conversation, because that's essentially what you're talking about is mapping the appropriate level of uh, literacy to the appropriate role or to a specific role, rather. It is also really interesting to think about, you know, coming into the conversation, 
as I think about my own challenges in using data, they're often around, you know, should I believe this source or that source? Am I getting the right data? Can I trust it? Is it being presented the right way? Is it hygienic, et cetera? But you're talking, I mean, that's a completely separate set of challenges and problems. You're talking again with literacy in particular, very specifically about do people actually understand what's being presented? Can I would assume that asking the right question is probably critical to effective data literacy. So you started with that 10% number, share anything that just came to mind there, and then maybe give a couple tips on like, if you want to make that path from 10% to, you know, 40% literacy, what are some easy things? Um, I shouldn't have said it that way. What are some things, what are some things that could be done uh, to start moving that direction? Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, there lots of, there's lots there and I want to address yeah. everything. So the part that you talked about, which was about, you know, the, is the data accurate and is it making sense? Where can I get it? That is all data maturity. So that, that's why there are four Ds of data culture. The part that you talk about is the foundation on which everything else sits. If you don't even have easy access to single source of truth, everything else will be irrelevant because you can make data, you can make, you can train a best data scientist. If they don't have access to the right data, what will they train their models on? Right. So data, data maturity is as the part that you talked about. And a lot of people, a lot of people think about data when they talk about data literacy, they start thinking about, Oh, you know, do we, where do I get this data from? You know, all of that is data maturity. So that's, that's a, that's a foundation. If that's given I mean, to some level, there's not a zero one for data maturity, but that's given meaning you are on a scale of zero to 10, you're seven or up. That means you have some good cohesive sense, you know, maybe you have to click uh, your, um, Tableau dashboard and, and you wait for five minutes instead of five seconds. Okay, understand there's some there's some hurdles and hiccups in your customer experience, but you can get data. That means you have some level of data maturity that can enable the rest of the three Ds. The other, the other three Ds, as we talked about, is data literacy, data-driven leadership, and decision-making process. So talking specifically about data literacy, so let me talk about the do-nots and then okay. we can get to do's, right? Super. What, Here's what's happening in the and and I I can I share this with a little bit of frustration because I am part of these conversations where a CEO has told uh, maybe a head of DNA or a head of BI or, or CIO and saying we need a culture of data let's upskill let's get data literacy let's get data literacy so the CIO or the head of DNA or some sets up a meeting with the LND leader or HR, HR person say we need data literacy can you go find out what training we can put our employees through. And then you, you can imagine what goes after that. They start looking for training. Sometimes we surface up in that conversation. Uh, we, I'm having a conversation with the L&D leader and they're saying, we need this training. Uh, you guys have these, these training. We just need these training. We can license it. And I'm sitting out there and thinking, we can license these training to them, but they are not going to get data literate. You know why, Ethan? They have insufficient maturity. Well, they can, first of all, their approach is let's train everybody. Data literacy is not one size fit all, right? The data, the customer support agent will need to be a different level than the executive. He needs, they need a different skill set. Yeah, the persona mapping. Persona mapping. So you're without even persona mapping and persona map needs to be mapped to competencies. You haven't thought about competencies and skills. You haven't thought about personas. You want to put everybody through one training. So in three months, you can just say, oh, data literacy done. It's not going to happen. And you know who you're going to blame? You're going to blame the technology or the training material. 
none of them are to be blamed the, what is what is to be blamed is you haven't thought through this how what is data literacy what is my vision for data literacy and how am i going to get people to these different levels of data literacy right and when you start thinking that way you automatically you start thinking about competencies you're going to think about what is the out what is the output i want what is the outcome i want at which level and that means you will start thinking what are they at current levels so you're going to start with assessment all those things will naturally happen when you start thinking that way the other thing which people do and we all do right like haven't you and i we all gone to training we've been so excited with it online or offline or offsite you know sipping a glass of wine and taking notes like wow this is so fundamental this is mind blowing and you come back to work and you've forgotten all about it i mean you know you talk about it to your coworkers for two days Three days. Next week, you kind of don't remember. The week after, you have forgotten what you learned there, and your notes will sit there, and you'll probably never go back to looking at them. What's happening there is that we have not contextualized the learning in our workflow, and data literacy is even um, data science is not trivial skill. So think about even a even a more you know it's a more complex skill, and then you. then you don't practice it you didn't bring it to to somebody's workforce you just send them to training and you expect them oh our team is our employees are data literate they are it's not going to happen you need to bring that training in the context of your workflow so they need to do one one thing that we found to be successful is they need to do a project a uh, follow on project where they get to apply it right away that's urgency is very important because it's these are complex concepts now somebody who has never uh, seen a, a, a histogram versus pie chart and you're saying you know which information you're going to represent which way how are they going to connect the dot it's it's too hard so we have to immediately and that's why we use a framework work based approach we treat we teach using bader and the reason we do that is because it's fairly complex and so if i want to uh, today you know start for, you know for example ethan do you do you cook i do Okay, uh, have you ever made uh, falafel? I have not. Okay, so the question for you is if I asked you tomorrow let's like can we make falafel tomorrow? How how are you going to do it? Uh I'm going to start with uh what are the ingredients so I make sure I have them. Exactly. So you're going to look up some recipe. Look and the within the recipe is going to tell you the steps and it's going to tell you the ingredients. And falafel because it's so, it's for so much so many of us it's so out there. we need a recipe the same way for data science and and getting those data science skills we need a recipe and that's why we have the bader framework if you have the if you have the framework if you have a recipe and you you are taught step by step how to do this how to do this next step how to do the next step you have something to now take it to your workflow so now you you have a framework then we want you to apply it to a use case like okay i'm a, i'm on marketing i have this 100k to spend this is what i was thinking about spending now that i have this framework let me see if i can do a better targeting better segmentation and i can do that and i can see whether you know what my output now i can apply it and while i'm applying it of course i this is the first time i'm i'm frying you know frying falafel i don't even know the consistency of the balls that need to go into the frying pan oh i have a mentor i have i have somebody who has done this and they say oh this is too liquidy we we need to add more flour in it whatever else okay now somebody is guiding me and that's what mentor a data science mentor that's what we do when we do data large large enterprise wide data literacy we have mentors either from our teams or the train the trainer trainers we have trained who go in and who are mentors 
on this framework applied to their workflow. That by the end of that exercise, that by the time they're done with their targeting and segmentation, that one project, it may take them four weeks, maybe take them six weeks. By the time they're done with that, now the framework is there. They know how to apply this framework. Maybe they'll not get everything from the class, but they'll know, at least they'll know how to take this framework and apply at least to this use case. Now you think about, now you have empowered many, many of these marketing folks. Together they are working. Many of the sales folks, you are creating a surround sound. Everybody is talking hypotheses, you know, business question. You're talking the same language. You start developing a culture, or at least your data literacy is up. But wait, it, it cannot, it, if it stops there and your data, your leadership is still not data driven, they're still making decisions irrespective of data. They're still not holding any of their team accountable. Slowly, there'll be no point for that data literacy, right? So the data, data driven leadership needs to come up as well. And then lastly, data-driven decision-making process. If there isn't a process by which decisions are being made, then the models, data will be happening here and the decisions will be happening in a parallel path and they have no connection and you're not going to be optimizing your decisions based on data. So data-driven decision-making processes also needs to come up. You know, the, you know, the review, the planning and the review process both need to have data in a systematic manner that you can see, hey, we planned on this. We were expecting an ROI of 10x. We actually got 8x. What happened? What was our assumption? Where the assumptions were wrong? And how can we use this information for next set of planning? And that's only possible when you can have this kind of process. So I know I don't. I gave a long rambling answer here, but no, that hopefully was, that was really good. I didn't want to stop you because you're essentially answering one of the questions I had, which is like. This obviously needs to be cultural. It needs to be deeply baked in who we are. This is how we do it around here. You know, any cultural element is that way. And so one of my questions for you is going to be, how do we make sure that this isn't just a project that those people over there are working on? And really you addressed, and I think that's what the 4Ds framework is really all about is again, combined with that persona mapping, doing the project work, I know that's how I learn best is I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a little bit of studying on my own, but I'm going to pair up with someone who's done it once before. We'll do it together. Then I'll maybe do it on my own and know that that person is within arm's reach if I need to reach out for a question that I'm off and running. Yeah. And so this idea of making sure people are doing projects relevant to their role, relevant to the new learning right away. And it's unique from what someone on another team is doing in a different seat uh, makes so much sense. And so, gosh, there, there are kind of two places I want to go. I guess I'll start here. Where does this process go wrong? I think you already alluded to some of them, particularly around executive buy-in, but are there any other you know, kind of common hurdles? If you're getting some of these pieces in place, what has prevented people from really making full cultural adoption? Yeah, and I can talk about some of the most common mistakes I'm seeing out there. One thing that people are doing, like I said, you know, the LD leaders, HR leaders, sometimes the IT teams are going out there and buying courses and maybe sometimes university courses at local universities. And local universities, I, I, I used to teach, I am a, I'm a UFM graduate student, so I was teaching. Previously, I was teaching statistics there, and then I was teaching calculus. So I know how statistics is taught in a, for, a, for a senior level class, uh, for a statistical, statistics and math major. I know how statistics is taught there, also in the context of business. That statistics doesn't, you know, you, from, you, you take that class and you learn about averages and means and maybe some error and maybe bell-shaped curve and normal distribution, Gaussian distribution. And then you come to the world and saying, oh, now you apply it to, you know, your targeting and segmentation. There's such a gap. 
between the two. And, and I, I had to uh, uh, bridge that gap. So I come from two masters. My Both of my thesis involve applied statistics and mathematics. I have a, I'm, I was talking about AI, you know, robotics and AI auto ML. At that point, 20 years ago, I'm beating myself, but 20 years ago, we were working on that, right? And then I come to the real world and nothing that I had learned. I mean, I was doing nonlinear regression there. And then I come to this real world and, and I'm given this, I joined Adobe and I was given this problem of, you know, how do we better engage our customer? It doesn't come together. Like, I didn't know what to do. I have all the skills, like I have all the skills, but I don't know how, how do I apply it? And slowly, and I failed miserably initially. And, um, and then over a period of time, I learned this process because I'm so impact driven. I was dissatisfied with, oh, just being able to do simple cross tabs or something. I'm like, I'm not using, fully utilizing the toolkit. And as a result, I developed this, the framework, Badal framework came out of this journey that I had myself of how do I take all of my quant background and then all of this business context. And I put it in the context and give it to people in a recipe that they can do. Because I, I mean, at some point I got really good and uh, my team got really good and we became a SWOT team for PayPal and you know, all of that happened. And so I just basically condensed all of that learning into this framework and thereby it makes it easy. You know, you give, when you start teaching Bade in the context, oh, here's a winery. How do you op optimize their marketing spend? Or, oh, here's a hospital. How do you optimize their uh, outcome, disease outcome and, and discharge outcome and all of that? When you start teaching people in that context and then you teach them, you can teach them averages and statistical errors and all of that. But when you teach it in the context, that's when it connects. And I think too many people are going the wrong way. One is they're doing it for all. Like this training, mandatory for all employees, that's a waste of time. You're going to get, what is it called? Fatigue, employee fatigue. Because, you know, too many, uh, too many hours spent and they don't see the value. Not everybody needs to be that right level. So that's one error that the one, one mistake I, I see people doing one training for all. Second, and, the, and, well, and, the, and the cognitive and emotional energy again, to cover that gap that you described, which is like, I got this uniform training, but how does that relate to me? I know that this is important because yes. we all did it, but I don't know what it means. And so it was like all this wasted energy. Yeah, yes, sorry. Out of context. And then, oh, teaching them Python. Does anybody, everybody need to learn Python? I mean, Python is 20% of your problems should require actually you learning to use Python and and using you know statistical methods or machine learning methods why is everybody learning python why yeah. is everybody learning sql so you're you like you know you're investing you're taking too much of your uh, employees time and putting them through a generic training and you're going to create frustration and is not going to be there's going to be very little learning transfer rate because <laughs> you're not teaching them in the context and then whatever transfers you're going to lose it because you're not doing use case after that right so specifically in data literacy these are the things i'm going to talk about which is these are the do not do because you're going to fail and and you're going to come out of six months later you know you're going to say i mean and, and the other last thing is they don't define success metrics you go in for a project and you ask the learning and trans, you know, learning and development managers and HR managers. So how are you going to measure the success of this project? If this works or not? Oh, that's a good question. Like if you don't define what is success for you, that means you don't know six months later, nine months later, you're successful or not. You'll just have some surveys that people have filled out where they have voiced, oh, it was a waste of time or whatever else. But how would you know what worked or not? Right. So. I don't know. I'm, 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 there's a lot to cover here, but yeah. I'm giving you know yeah. some of the top things. Don't do this. 
think about your strategy first think about your data literacy goal think about that persona mapping and and strategize it who needs to be at what level spend that front end time the other thing is it cannot be done without executive buy in and we again get too many of these requests oh we're going to do this data literacy oh but we don't need to uh, and our, we, our first step is voice of executive they say oh what's the executive oh, we don't need to talk to executives why do we need to waste their time <laughs> you can't change a culture of the organization without executives putting in the, their skin in the game right it's not possible you're talking about changing the culture and that's shifting the mind who is a marketing manager going to look up if the if the ceo and the leadership the cmo is still making decisions right of the bat the seat of the pants why are they going to be data driven why are they going to pick up these skills right so uh, i think that's another big failure i see people think oh it's a siloed approach yeah let's just fix this this team this team is not functional let's fix this team you can fix the team all you like but unless you fix it systemically you're not going to be able to drive a uh, culture of data so good another drive into making it a cultural transition not just a project orientation so you've talked about the data driven executive you talked a little bit about uh, the data enthusiast i can imagine what the data skeptic is but i'm really curious to hear more about the citizen analyst what are the characteristics of a citizen analyst and what are maybe a couple roles in an organization that it's that that maps to yeah that's a great question so going back to my 80 20 80% of the problem you and i as individual professionals should be able to use simple analysis and do it in excel 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 or whatever tool of choice you have microsoft excel everybody has but you know whatever tool of choice you have at hand which means 80% of the problem in marketing in product in customer support is solvable using simple aggregate analysis correlation analysis sizing and trend analysis those simple methodologies rfm for example for segmentation recency frequency monitoring simple stuff can be can solve 80% of your problem so citizen analyst they do like so marketing managers product managers typically marketing folks and the product folks now product folks need to to do this simple analysis and those, so they need like these basic skills to be able to utilize excel and for example i said and graph and chart and do systematic again bader framework we call this bader framework but hands on business analytics they need hands on business analytics skills for that for marketing folks um they need a little bit more they need ab testing as well to be able to do controlled design of you know control experiments like if i did this versus this if i change the the shade of this button from pink to red what happens and all of those things so uh, there are two mm, two personas that we see data educated and citizen analyst that we use typically in the organization sometimes they are you know typically in an organization there are six to eight personas sometimes there is need for more and we in, introduce more personas but typically for you know marketing product a sales person they fall somewhere between data literate data educated and citizen analyst depending again on the outcome and sometimes sales people uh, sales professionals they need to be able to utilize the output from a dna team but not necessarily do some things hands on they need to be able to understand it so they, their literacy level need to be data needs to be data literate right so there's again again these are not set in stone definitions they vary by organization because the organization's goal is different for some organization a product manager needs to be able to pull data using sql and do real time testing and so on then they'll need a higher skill for that level right higher data skill so it varies but this is kind of roughly what it fits in really good thank you so much for that i'm glad i asked that 
before we go to a couple kind of closing elements, any closing thoughts for you here, any hopes or expectations for a better data future? Like, you know, if you want to impart one, you know, big message to put a button on uh, this really interesting and wide ranging. I, I wish I wasn't so ambitious with how much we wanted to learn or how much I wanted to learn with my time with you. But, uh, you know, any, anything you want to uh, add here? My last thing I want to tell your audience is this is a perfect time to learn. You know, one bird, two, one, two birds, one, one stone kind of situation. Right now, and again, we are recording in early April, so pandemic and even post-pandemic, this kind of chaos, this news, the depressing news and all of that is going to continue. And it's, it's a time of transition. Our minds are transitioning. When I get up every morning, I don't know what's happened in the world like this. It's, the world is transitioning. That means our mind is in the perfect place to learn. So if you are yourself an individual wanting to invest in yourself, learn the skills. If you are a leader and you want your team, you know, you invest in your team to learn because, you know, post pandemic, it's a situation where you can't do without data. And these skills are going to, you know, if you invest in your team right now, you're going to get a hundred folds because each of and every of your decision is going to be optimized for in future. And you want that because, you know, the margins are gone for 2020 at least, right? And, and so for, as an individual, I would also say invest time in learning because, you know, that'll, I heard from some podcasts that, you know, that fires new synaptic neuron connections and it actually makes your brain grow and is, is actually um, towards a better wholesome you versus, you know, the news that we have been bombarded with. It's just, it's really depressing. So I would say right now is a perfect time. Right now I'm continuing on. 2020 is not an easy year. Perfect time to learn if you are yourself a sales and marketing individual wanting to invest in time, invest your time in it. So learn these skills is going to be very, very useful. And also if you are a leader, invest in, in data literacy, invest in data culture for your organization. It's going to serve you really well so that, you know, you're going to thrive as a company and serve your customers better. Wonderful. For folks, like, again, I feel like I was overly ambitious in what, what I wanted to do here. If anyone wants to go back, we're doing full transcripts. We're doing video clips. We're doing summaries at bombbomb.com slash podcast. And when you visit that page, not only can you see the most recent episodes, including this one, but you might also enjoy episode 36 with Sarah Toms from the Wharton School at Penn. We talked about the financial side of CX, which customers should you invest in and using LTV and other data to figure out where to invest. And then episode 65, more recently with Chris Hicken, we talked about product usage as a vanity metric. And we talked about a number of metrics and how different teams within the organization can use them. So before I let you go, I would love to give you the chance because relationships are our number one core value to thank or mention someone who's had a positive impact on your life or your career. Even we, I'm listening a lot these days, like again, so bombarded with news and not so good. I'm listening a lot to um, neuroscientists, potentials, uh, alternate reality. I'm, th- I'm, I'm going completely in a different direction these days because that helps me see a bigger, bigger, I can zoom out of this situation and see a bigger, bigger self. So I'm listening a lot to Dr. Joe Dispenza these days and this whole aspect of we create our own reality and Abraham Hicks. And I really love the empowerment that comes from that you can change your brand. energy makes matter. I love this concept. And we've, we've, you know, from, from Einstein, we know, we know this E equal to MC square, but I don't know how it translates to my world. And I'm loving this idea about energy math makes matter and how I can energetically 
change the vibration of what I am thinking or what I'm doing and actually manifest matter. So I'm loving that. And it's, it's having a huge and significant impact for me. And then, you know, obviously all the, all the good folks who came before that and who opened my mind, I'm a lifetime learner. So I love learning. And so I'm learning from a neuroscientist, uh, neuro, neuro, neuroscientist right now. Awesome. And you already mentioned Amazon in the context of data and customer experience. Is there another company you maybe really appreciate or respect for the way that they deliver an experience for you as a customer? Well, I can probably um, name quite a few, but I love the new new age, new startup companies who are all about MH, you know, must have experiences for their, for their client. And so I'm a customer for third love. Ipsy is one of our clients and this, this aspect of their, and then many, many, many others, but this aspect of being able to make things easy for their customers, to be able to give them choices, to empower them and to sell them seamlessly, not overtly, but you know, in sort of, I don't know the opposite of over, but you know, basically make it seamless, make it easy. And I'm all, I'm a, I'm a convenience and ease lover. And so all these new startups and experiences, you know, like there are lots of startups about like giving science kits. They're making science kits uh, for, for my child and you know, all of those. I, I love, I love these companies who make seamless experiences that does it for me, you know, then it's not a question of how much money I'm ready to pay. It's, it's a question of, oh, I got the experience. And now also I'm looking at these days, I'm also very, I'm very attracted to positive news coming out. So the companies who are investing in the employees, imp- companies that are making, I mean, I'm a big fan of Bill Gates and like the kind of investment he's doing in vaccines and, you know, how Facebook is using its platform to spend, spread positive information about COVID. And I love these, these things that people with so much, such a big network and such big influence are doing such high value work for the humanity. So I love these. I don't know. I, I rambled on again, but no, 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 that's really good. I'm never going to stop someone who's talking about the positive. Pianka, this has been awesome. If someone wants to follow up with you or they want to learn more about A-Ring, like where would you send people if they want to follow up on this conversation? They can go to airing.com and from there they can reach us, reach out. And there's a lot of, lot of resources there. People can download and, and uh, case studies and, you know, our, we, we share exuberantly. So we have lots and lots of cases. We write a lot. We talk a lot. So download stuff from there. If you do want to reach out, uh, you can use the form there. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is analytics queen. Analytics Queen. Perfect. I love it. This has been so good. I appreciate your time so much. I hope you enjoy the butterfly kit with your daughter. And I will share all of these links at bombbomb.com slash podcast. Thank you so much, Ethan. It was a pleasure talking to you and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Pianca Jane, president and CEO of A-Ring. Hey, if you want more episodes like this one, you can visit bombbomb.com slash podcast. It's B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B dot com slash podcast. Or you can search the Customer Experience Podcast in your preferred podcast player. Again, my name is Ethan Butte. I host this series and I welcome your feedback. Email me, Ethan, E-T-H-A-N at bombbomb.com. What would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of? Which episodes or conversations really stood out to you? 
You can also share that feedback via LinkedIn. Hit me up, Ethan Butte, last name is spelled B-E-U-T-E. I'm pretty sure I'm still the only one there. And I welcome again your thoughts, your feedback, anything you have to share about the CX series here on B2B Growth. Thanks for listening. Is your buyer a B2B marketer? If so, you should think about sponsoring this podcast. B2B Growth gets downloaded over 130,000 times each month, and our listeners are marketing decision makers. If it sounds interesting, send Logan an email, logan at sweetfishmedia.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.